our highly skilled team are focused on bringing you the optimal experience. experience. It's Kubrick's Universe, the Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. And hey, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Kubrick's Universe. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host and humble narrator, Jason Furlong. Now, for today's episode, we have a really cool and unique guest for you. I'm referring, of course, to Mr. Derek Lyons. Now, Derek has always been fascinated with the movies. And as a teenager, he attended a local theatrical school in London. None other than British acting legend Sir Nigel Hawthorne encouraged Derek to follow his path and even sponsored his application to join British Actors' Equity back in the mid-70s. Derek's first film job, unbelievably, was... Drumroll, please. Star Wars A New Hope, which happened to be filming at Shepperton and Elstree Studios back in 1976. Derek got two quite significant roles in that little film. Derek has also appeared in Quadrophenia, Flash Gordon, Superman 2, 3, and 4, Ragtime, Britannia Hospital, Best Picture winner Gandhi, Krull, a guilty pleasure favorite of mine, Curse of the Pink Panther, Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, Val Kilmer's first film, Top Secret, Life Force, Another guilty pleasure, an inimitable classic, um, absolute beginners, Mona Lisa, and the groundbreaking Who Framed Roger Rabbit, not to mention Indiana Jones 3 and 4, and a bunch of Bond movies. Pretty much every major film shot in the UK in the 80s and 90s. I mean, Derek's film credits really do read like a best of British films list from that era. Now, I know that Derek must have hundreds of stories, great ones, about his times with the likes of Lindsay Anderson, Elizabeth Taylor, Christopher Lambert, John Schlesinger, Ken Russell, Robert Mitchum, Quentin Crisp, Anthony Hopkins, Pierce Brosnan, Peter Cushing, Telly Savalas, who lived in my hometown for many years, eh, baby, Sir Lawrence Olivier and Bob Hoskins, I mean, just to name a few, but as this is Kubrick's Universe, today we're going to be talking with Derek about his time working for Stanley Kubrick while filming The Shining. Hey, Derek, thanks so much for giving us some of your time, man. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. How you doing? Glad you're here. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jason, and thank you, Stephen, for inviting me on your on your podcast. Um, it's very, very kind of you. Pleasure's all ours, man. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to launch in with uh, uh, an easy question, uh, an obvious one. 
Yes. Which is how, how did you come to work with Stanley Kubrick on The Shining? Well, uh, having uh, started uh, in the film business uh, as a supporting artist, being an actor, so obviously I regard myself as an actor first of all, and obviously mm. uh, supporting artist, which you know technically means I'm supporting the main artist or whatever. So it goes on 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 like that. Right, well, right. what happened? I, d- I did. Uh, I worked on um, uh, Star Wars: A New Hope, which was called the Star Wars at the time. Right. And then, <clears throat> and then I took a, a couple, I think a year and a couple of years out and worked in, in the music business for Record Mirror and Sounds, some kind of big paper, music papers in the UK. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, through the punk movement. You know, I, was, I, got, I knew most of the bands like the Pistols, the Stranglers, Eddie and Hot Rods. Right on. Yeah, yeah. I met them all. Joe Strummer, I knew very, fairly well. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, obviously it seems like I'm name dropped, but it's all true, you know. And uh, then. It's fascinating. What happened is um, I decided to go back in the business again. And uh, I, I did three films in 1978, and uh, I forget which order. It could have been Quadrophenia first, then The Shining, and there was another one, which I can't remember. I, I think it's an IMDb. But um, what happened is my agent at the time, uh, a guy called David Edwards, at, um, you know, at my agent at Central Casting, um, and obviously people, folks got to understand the Central Casting as like America – uh, employed, you know, people like, you know, like the American one had Tom Cruise at one point. In England, UK, we, we had people like Roger Moore, um, mm-hmm. so Roger Moore, you know, Sean Connery and, and many others who uh, started at Central Casting and then their career took off. So I, I just used it as a vehicle to get, you know, to get work. So they, anyway, I got this call. They said, oh, you'd be great as one of the, uh, the hotel staff at the Overlook Hotel we send you down and, and get someone to look at you um, at L Street Studios. So I went down to L Street Studios, wasn't too far away from where I lived in North London. And um, when I got there, I, uh, I was greeted by uh, one of the costume uh, designer people, plus um, um, I think it was Kubrick's assistant. So I was greeted. And I remember uh, walking into L Street, you know, I had to go through security. Wasn't, wasn't as bad as it is now with security getting to studios, but mm. went there to sign my name and I think, and then walked through. And obviously the studio is quite different now. And I remember going up to the back yeah. of the studios. Um, it was obviously um, Elstree, uh, sorry, uh, Star Wars actually was uh, um, what's the word for it? Was 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 based there. In fact, when I worked on Star Wars, we filmed at El, at um, Shepperton Studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to the wardrobe department. This guy agreed me, and then they, they they got me in the costume, which was the one of the bellboy, as you say in America, bellhop costumes. And right. remember, on the left hand side, it had the, the red kind of circular badge which said Overlook Hotel. And I remember them taking some Polaroids of me, and um, then just asked me a few questions. I can't remember the whole questions really, but. And then we'll see if we get back to you. So, um, funny enough, when I uh, was trying to costume on, in my left uh, hand pocket, I felt something in the pocket. And I thought, what the hell is this? So I pulled it out, and it was actually one of the spare uh, um, uh, badge, you know, like a, a patch, which goes on the uniform. So mm-hmm. I said, and the costume, one of the costume guy who was on, I knew, recognized him from, 
um, I think it was where I worked on either Star Wars or I recognised the guy. I said to him, I said, you know, can I have this? Oh, yeah, take it. So I took it, and years later, I put, I put it on a uh, a army uh, shirt I had for years. Yeah, that's so cool. And sadly, uh, my ex-girlfriend who... Uh, I knew it. <laughs> my, my ex-girlfriend, I, I left the shirt at her apartment. <laughs> and uh, this is also along with my Bruce Lee original Enter the Dragon uh a massive uh, poster. I left oh, it, no. and she gave the the, the 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 shirt to her new boyfriend. I um, knew it. Oh man! Never no, I had it now. That's been worth a fortune. Oh god, that's crushing. Really true. Yeah, that's, that's sad, you know. But um, uh, yeah, that was it. So anyway, then I've, so I got the call, and, and uh, I worked on um, the Shining. At L Street Studios for two weeks. I didn't know who was in it at that point. I didn't know Jack Nicholson mm. was in it until I arrived. And because um, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I like to explore, and I actually walked around the uh, sure the the, the big um, scene where they did the uh, when Jack goes up to the barman. I think it was in Blade Runner. The same guy. I'm not sure if it's Joe, Joe Turkel. Joe Turkel. Yeah. Same person. Yeah. And yep. and then also the other guy was in the uh, the bathroom scene that British actor uh, Philip Stone. Yeah, I worked with him a few years later on uh, on Flash Gordon because he's in that as well. Oh no, that's right, that's yeah, right. I forgot that. Actor, yeah, that, that guy. You have to check it out. Um, anyway, I uh, love Flash Gordon, but go on. Yeah, I yeah, just forgot that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I mean, that new, I mean that new documentary which has just been released, which was shown in America last year, called Life After Flash, directed by. A friend of mine, and um, she, uh, yeah. So I'm in. I'm in about two or three minutes of the new documentary on that. It's, it's, oh. it, follows, it follows Sam Jones's life, and uh, and it use you know Peter Wingard, the late Peter Wingard, who I knew, and um, Brian Blessed, uh, um, and many of the other actors. What has life after Flash been like for me? When I first saw Flash Gordon, it changed my life. Flash! Ah! I love everything about Flash Gordon. I remember every single bit about that film. I would have been pretty little the first time I saw Flash Gordon. I love when they put the hand in the thing and the bug bit him. That frightened me as a kid. You can see why George Lucas wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. You can see Flash Gordon's fingerprints all over Star Wars. Flash Gordon's tank top. This is a Hawkman blaster. Immediately, the Queen chorus comes right in. And I already had this thing in my head. This sort of boom, 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 boom. It is a comic strip, and therefore they are pretty... Uh, one-dimensional. You have to care for the character. I think I remember being quite nervous about it. It was fun. I couldn't breathe. The only comic book I saw was at uh, Dino's house. Melody, it's Dino. So we look around for one year. No star really can break what she got. Well, you always knew when Dino was there. My advice was, you know, not to get involved in a confrontation with Dino. He lost his family. He lost his place in Hollywood. Sam is a man who struggled. Who wants to hire a, a bitter, angry actor who's blaming everybody else? And I just got up in his face. I said, stop it. Stop it. You know, all the tabloids are coming out, you know, saying, oh, where's Flash Gordon been? And we had little kids and I said, you've got to do something else. Our weapons are usually concealed. It's harder for them to go and explore other characters because everybody just wants what they love. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you got to separate your personal life from your movie life. I don't know how you do that. They became those characters, and they were iconic to the to the world. 
It's much better to be typecast than to be miscast. Sam is a definitive Flash Gordon. No one can play better. It's one of those iconic roles that won't. They, they stand the test of time. People dying on their deathbeds. Please say Gordon's alive. Gordon's alive. That's how we roll 61. All right. I have to just get this in. Gordon's alive, live, live, live. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Gordon's Queen's alive! <laughs> yes, oh, I'm so glad you went there with me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I arrived on set, you know, got, sorry, got, went costume, you know, it was quite early in the morning, I suppose I had to be there by seven. Mm-hmm. Get, get my costume on, have a cup of tea, as we normally do, you have a little tea breaks and everything right. in the UK. Used to anyway, and then I walk on set and I walk to the set uh, of the Overlook Hotel. Now, obviously, the facade of the Overlook Hotel was uh, at the back on the, the big green area, which is now not now locked down now. And I think they've got a uh, Tesco's there now, some supermarket there now. But uh, on the back, they had the, the actual Overlook Hotel. They built the whole thing. I mean, it's unbelievable just the facade of it. But it was really well made. I mean, you know, the, the, the British. Um, uh, set design, set um, um, craftsmen, the craftspeople there, yeah, yeah second to none. Well, that's why you know uh, Steven Spielberg and Lucas filmed a lot of the stuff here. Of anyway, well, yeah, then we get on set on in the actual interior, which is one in one of the studios which was built there of the mm-hmm. interior of the Overlook Hotel, and um, I walked in, and I, you know, we were just walking around. No one, none of the actors were on set at that point. We were just sitting around in, in the seats at the over. Overlook um, reception, and I remember you know, t- it's a few friends. My friend Kathy Munro, who plays Zucas in Star Wars, she, uh, we became friends from that film. And mm-hmm. she's she's got a, uh, she has a line of dialogue in that because uh, what that Stanley actually came up to me um, and a few others came to me and he said, uh, I can't do his voice, but he said, he said, uh, he said, are you a member of Equity? And I said, No, I'm not. At that point, I wasn't. Then he went up to another person. Are oh, you remember equity? And then up to Kathy. Are you, you remember equity? And she, she said, yes. Oh. And there's one scene when I'm walking in, and I walk in past, and I uh, to look a little bit different, disheveled, and, and I've got this kind of big warm coat on, and taking these chairs into the, you know, into the Overlook Hotel, taking stuff from closing down the, um, uh, the hotel for the winter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, what was in the... So Kathy, basically, as I, I walk in, and Kathy... Goes up to um, uh, he played James Bond in in a version uh, Barry Nelson yes yeah, sorry mm-hmm. Barry Nelson uh, and he goes she, he goes uh, and she says uh, uh, hello Mister uh, uh, goodbye or hello Mister Torrance and he says he reacts to that so that's Kathy I would I've actually would have done that line if if I would have said I was equity but sadly I wasn't at that point oh no kidding wow that's interesting that yeah. line would have gone to you yeah it could have been well that still gives us plenty of time to go over everything first. Bye, Mr. Altman. Bye. I mean, I, re- I remember being a young lad and thinking, gosh, she's really pretty. You know? yes. Her and her sister worked, both worked on it, and uh, they actually, Kathy and her sister um, Anne used to go across, uh, no, Claire, sorry. Uh, she, her name's Anne and Claire, so she has two names. But um, they went over this, across the road uh, uh, from the studio, there's a Chinese restaurant. It was a pub opposite. There was a Chinese restaurant. I think it was over beside the studio or the opposite side. And uh, they used to go for lunch. 
and Stanley used to go there on his own and and uh, eat eat Chinese food. And uh, one day he asked uh, Kathy and her sister to join him. And I'm just thinking, did he have the idea of getting twins? Because they were twins. So I'm just wondering if he had the sudden idea to get two girls. Mm. Yeah, I mean, don't you never know? I mean, it was the most coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, he chatted. Interesting. Yeah, and she he, he chatted with them, and, and he was very nice to them. Anyway, when I'm getting back to my bit, yeah, Stanley. Um, most of the takes is one scene where I'm walking through. We don't really see because it's cut. I'm, I'm walking through the Overlook Hotel, going towards where I was at the at the bit where um, where Jack walks into the office because it was all the everything the office and everything was built on that set. So you can walk around and you can walk straight into the office where you know the the, the where Barry Nelson was and Barry Denham uh, were interviewing mm-hmm. Jack. It's massive. Uh, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, I mean, because you are in at least four different scenes in The Shining, but the first time we see you is inside the Overlook. You're dressed as the bellhop, bellboy, and you're holding two really large suitcases. It seems like you're waiting with two hotel guests for uh, the elevator or the lift, as uh, you guys say. And uh, Nicholson walks right past you. Like, what are your memories of shooting that scene? Did Stanley actually? coordinate the uh supporting artists in that scene the, yeah obviously the co- he, he, he uh you know he was very uh, vocal uh, director and he would just uh, say i want it that way that way he was always very vocal because obviously the first assistant is the person who usually mm-hmm. uh, hates the the background artists you know sporting artists how they operate and what thing but, but kubrick had everything planned he, he knew exactly what he wanted i mean most of the takes we did uh would be at least 50 takes at least 50 wow if not more. And yeah, uh, I mean, you know, anything not, not news, but it's always fascinating to hear it from yeah, the source. I had to walk through with this woman and, uh, she, I had to kind of walk through, uh, this is not, it's, I forget which scene. It's part of that same scene, but it's been cut. I walked through and I, and it's cause I think Jack may have just been there at that point, you know, Jack Nicholson. And I, and I had to kiss the girl on the cheek and walk down the hot corridor because I don't know if I was meant to be a hotel guest at that point, but you only see the back of my head. But I can't, I don't seem to have seen, I don't remember seeing that bit. And, um, and well, you know, but say Stanley was, uh, well, I would say that if he could have uh, not only directed, but uh, been the actors, uh, done every single thing on that film without anyone else there, he would have done that if he had the ability, because he was perfectionist, you know, and, um, he um, well, he was quite a nice person. He wasn't aggressive. He wasn't he wasn't sh- never shouted at anyone. And uh, uh, I remember seeing his daughter because she was filming um, Vivian, uh, his youngest. Yeah, I don't know which one it was, but she was filming. Um, Vivian shot the documentary. It must be Vivian. Yeah, she was she was quite nice. I spoke to her for a few times, but I can't remember what I was talking about. But. She was oh, quite, really cool. I was kind of shy. In, I was kind of very shy in, in those days, to be honest with you. And, um, and, uh, but I, cause Jack Nicholson was, I was a massive fan. I, I you know, right. I, I've got, I, I, you know, I watched all the early films, you know, five easy pieces, uh, the uh-huh. Marvin gardens, uh, which Scatman Carabas appears in as well. And, right. and you know, the early ones, the easy rider, obviously is being the first Jack Nicholson film I ever, ever, ever saw. So I, when I saw him, I couldn't believe it because he's one of my heroes. So, right. uh, so I actually went up to him and, uh, and I said, "Hi, Jack." I'm Derek. Was, uh, uh, well, I, he may have said, oh, "What's your name?" I said, "Derek." 
And I would go up to him from time to time. There was one bit where he was sitting in one of the chairs near the, I think it's near the left-hand side of the set, uh, in one of the armchairs, and he was eating these uh, sandwiches. So I said to him, I said, Jack, uh, I said, uh, I said, what are you eating there? He says, uh, well, Derek, I'm eating some cheese sandwiches. <laughs> fucking ham at them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just cheese? He, that's all? He was eating cheese on bread? Yeah, yeah. He wanted the ham in it. And there's another bit where we were doing this scene and checking the vowels on the set. And Jack was, he was always playing, you know, and I think Jack uh, was maybe smoking quite a bit of weed on the, on the film. And sure. Yeah, <laughs> as well, possibly. And uh, anyway, um, I was used to that because my father used to take smoke marijuana himself. <laughs> and, uh, so, you saw the signs. Yeah, you could see. And, and <laughs> how did, well, wait, I hate to veer off, but how did he get. How did he manage to get so intense? I mean, I was under the impression of people, you know, like when they're in that state, they kind of mellow out. He's, he's, he's like operating on two different well, spectrums I think, there. I think he's a kind of method, actually. He was just like, I think you may have seen that shot where he smashes down the, the face. Here's yeah. Johnny, you know, here's Johnny, you know. Of course. Uh, where he runs on the spot and gets himself worked up into it. And, you yeah, know, yeah. Thing, you know, because when I was talking to Jack, uh, when I, because I can't remember in, in what sequence the, 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 the dialogue was between me and him. I remember certain bits quite vividly. I remember asking him, I was, he was actually outside the set. I was walking along with him and I said, Jack, so how do you start the business? And he actually told me he worked at MGM uh, in the cartoon department or something like that, I think he said. He worked, wow. at, he worked at MGM uh, in, in something to do with the cartoon department, and maybe I may be wrong. But something like that. I remember him saying something. Like that. I said, "Yeah, there's he does." I started. He, he works. Uh, he works. His, yeah. So I, I could have, I've read quite a bit on him. I and I can't remember that me reading that. Um, that he worked at MGM in, in some department. I remember him saying cartoons. But um, it sounds like he was, uh, you know, more than just uh, you know polite or cordial to you. That you know, he by ask, you know he asked your name and stuff. Did you guys have well, any rapport during the shoot? Well, the thing is, it goes on and on because um, every time I saw him, it was like uh, in the scene where he's goes he's shown around the uh, the um, the maze because the maze itself the grounds, yeah. In front of the overlook cell, they built the maze. But really, the maze—you only—it was only certain parts they, you know, they built. They didn't build a complete whole maze, obviously, because it's been taking right. ages, and they didn't have the space, I suppose. But they did the outside of it. And so, when I there's one scene where I know there's one when I'm walking in, you see the back of me. I'm wearing this. I've got the ad. I've got the, some other photos. I've got to dig out of me wearing the Adidas. Uh, uh, it was a kind of very thin Adidas. Uh, kind of sports top, which was popular in the 70s. And I wear that to walk in. But then there's another scene where I'm walking down towards where, you remember that tractor thing, that that thing which is used in the film? The snow, the snow cat, yeah. Yeah, that was on the left-hand side. There was a little kind of garage for it. And I used to walk up that, there's another scene where I'm walking that way. And I, I say, uh, hi, Jack. He goes, hi, Derek, how are you today? I promise you, he would do that. <laughs> And that would kind of make me feel, God, you know, it's, I feel so good. And funny enough, actually, I bought, um, I actually bought, and I read during the, that two weeks of being in that movie, I read The Shining uh, by mm-hmm. Stephen And uh, so I, because I, I thought, I get my, read, read it, as I read it most mornings, most nights when I went home, and I read the whole book 
uh, I still have it here um, uh, during the time. So I've got the feel of the film, you know, and um, of which, you know, it was quite, quite different <laughs> to uh, what eventually came out. Uh, but, yes, yes, <laughs> indeed. But go on. Yeah. Uh, so Jack, uh, he was good. He, uh, one minute, one time he, he was this girl on, on the set. He always loved the girls. We'd go up to the girls. And what you know, it's all about seventies. There's one particular girl called uh, Julie Brown, and Julie Brown, I think she's now a uh, a continuity uh, lady in films. I don't talk, I haven't spoke to her for years. And funny enough, she's the, the the brother of a guy called Paul Brown, who's the guy who took my girlfriend away, who has my shirt. Oh snap! It's all connected, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! She's the girl in uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, oh, sorry, in Rage Lost Ark where Harrison Ford is uh, the teacher and the girl closes her eyes and says, Get out of here. Judy Brown, yeah. Neo, meaning new and lithic. I-T-H-I-C, meaning stone. All right, let's get back to this site. Turk Dean Barrow near Hazleton. Contains a central pass passage and three chambers or cysts. However, chamber three was undisturbed. And the undisturbed chamber and the grave goods that were found in another, uh, in the area, give us a uh, reason to, to, uh, to, to date this uh, find as we have. Um, any questions? And she was on the Wait, film. that's the girl who has your shirt? Yeah, her brother. Her brother, oh my, what? Mind blown. My back, yeah, absolutely. But where we were friends after, it was not a problem, you know, is the way it goes. But uh, 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 I'd like to get the shirt back if I ever see him. But uh, anyway, I remember one day Jack, <laughs> Jack went up to Sorry. the girls. He went up to the girls in the, in the reception area. And Judy, I think Judy was only there for a couple of days. And um, she had this very uh, tight trousers on, which uh, uh, I can't go into too much detail. And Jack went up to her one day and says, hey, what's your name? She goes, Julie. Julie, those those uh, jeans really fit you quite nicely, you know. And he, you know, and he go, he just go up and start flirting with the women and everything else, you know. Uh, it's great. Oh but, my god! But say most, story. sorry, most days I would chat with him about different things. Um, uh, and I'm gonna have to go on to talk about Scatman because Scatman and I got in very in. Very close. Uh, well, I want to ask you about that, but since you brought up uh, reading King's novel while you were there for uh, the two weeks, did did you and Jack discuss the book at all? Did uh, did he well, no, take I, notice I, that you were reading it? Or have I, any thoughts? Well, uh, this, I can tell you this because I'll leave this for later. But I'm just tell you now. I I said to Jack one day, so look, I'm, I've got a copy of The Shining and uh, Ken Casey's uh, One Flew of the Cooker's Nest. I said if I bring it in. Because uh, I know it's because I knew in a few days I'm going to be finished. Yeah. Uh, in towards uh, the end of the week, uh, would you mind signing it? I said, yeah, well, sure, Derek, no problem. You know. Oh man, that's so and cool. This is what happened, right? And this is a room which went around. Um, the last day of shoot, I've got the books in a, a plastic bag with me on set. Um, I think I'm, I'm maybe in civilian clothes by this because we, you know, we kept changing scenes, and you know, you, one day you didn't know if you're if you're in in um, your, your, your own clothes. Most, apart from that's when I'm bringing the, uh, the actual um, chairs in with Kathy Monroe doing that dialogue to uh, uh, Barry Nelson. Um, 
Goodbye, uh, girls. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the 70s. There, there they are for you in a nutshell. Yeah, I'm, Go- wearing, I'm wearing my own clothes, you know, in, in, in a few scenes. But no, I... Cool. I, at the end of the shoot, I, I, was, I was getting a bit kind of, oh God, you know, it's going to happen or not. Okay, so wrap, you know, and finish, you know. Jack turns, it's absolutely true. Jack turns around, looks straight at me, walks straight towards me. He puts his arm around me. He said, come with me, Derek. And he took me up the, uh, it's absolutely true. He put his arm around me, walked up the stairs, yeah, up, up, up the, uh, the, the, the stairs, one flight, mm-hmm. stairs, straight into his dressing room. There's me and Jack Nicholson in his dressing room. We walked in, nice. the, we walked in the dressing room, closed the door, and he's wearing that kind of that, uh, that brown coat he wore, you know, the kind of tweedy top uh, coat. And right. uh, on the left-hand side, I remember, there was this cassette player. Remember the cassette players? We used to press the button. Uh, oh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the, not the A-track, just normal cassette. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I, I owned own yeah. many. Go on. And, we, and he pressed that, and it was, I heard this music. And I said, uh, I said, Jack, what, what's that music? He said, well, Derek, um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, doing post-production of a movie called Going South. And that's wow. the music is, is Ray Kuda has done the music, and that's the soundtrack. So I heard uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. So I was listening to the soundtrack while talking to him in his in his room uh, um, uh, from this film called Going South with John Belushi. Yeah, uh, and so we're Stephen and I are huge Belushi fans, by the way. In fact, Nicholson directed that. Yep, that's, that's correct. Yeah, and uh, so we're talking about that, and um, then. I thought, God, you know, because I heard, you know, I mean, Jack obviously loves women, absolutely, but mm-hmm. I know what people are really up to. So I was a bit worried that he mostly thought, you know, he's, he's, I'm getting, do you think he thinks I'm gay or do you think, all that went from my mind, you know, we go from my mind, because he started taking his clothes off, and obviously he's going to take his clothes off because, <laughs> because he can't, he's taking his costume off. And he's right, exactly. Clothes on, right. So he took his clothes. I saw this me sitting looking at Jack with his, uh, you know, he's not as big as he is now, poor guy. But he, 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 I saw him in his underpants, you know, or I think he had boxer shoes on, I think, something like that. And then he got dressed and stuff. And we sat down. Uh, he was opposite me. And there's this coffee table, like uh, I think it was a glass coffee table. And he's on the directly opposite. I could touch him on the head with my right arm, left arm. And we're sitting opposite him. I think, uh, he, uh, I, I think he poured a drink or maybe he had a drink there and he had this little uh, tin um, uh, little tin uh, 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 case thing with uh, and he said and he said Derek do you want to you fancy smoking a joint and I said I said no 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 I'll be all, I'll be all right you know <laughs> <laughs> he made a joint and then um, he had all these like well, he had little compartments in it and he, like, wait I gotta I gotta ask did he did he light up anyway I mean, did he just like smoke a joint in your presence and was cool with the fact that you did not want to uh, partake? He lit up a joint. Maybe I did. Maybe I did try a little bit, but not too much. I mean, come on, it's it's you and Jack Nicholson chilling in his dressing room. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, I did smoke a joint with him, but I've, I've never told him on that before. But nice. Yeah. Yeah. We have a we have a Kubrick's Universe exclusive, yeah. Derek. Thank you. You're the man. You're the best. No, but no, <laughs> but, anyway, but no, but in his, in his tin, when I was, I was, I was very observant. I could see these little tablets in there, you know. Mm-hmm. There must be speed in there. There must be, who knows, quaaludes, who knows what's in there. But um, anyway, so we're chatting away. And uh, I actually brought Jack a present, uh, and he didn't know about this. Now, subsequently, I know that Jack collects art, and I know he collects, yeah. uh, I think he's got this thing with this dollar bills and things in art. And he's got these, 
I remember seeing some documentary or something on TV a little bit later. So anyway, uh, when I was born, I was given a, a five shilling crown uh, coin, and I took it um, with me to give to him because I thought, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who give things away. Like the other day, I was in the in Little, and this guy came. Uh, I had a pair of his glasses on. And this guy said, "Oh, I love your glasses." I said, "I haven't. I just give it away." He said, you, you, "Why?" He said, "Have it. He said, it's okay. I don't want." So I'm like, it's a very Buddhist thing of me. I always give things away, guy. So. I gave anyway, cool. anyway. So I kept it for one. I said Jack, and, he, and so Jack signed because uh, uh, you see on my web in website you see the signatures Jack to Derek Warmer's regards Jack Nicholson, and then he signed the uh, uh, Cooper's Nest book, uh, which awesome. was, I mean the Shining book's actually signed by Scatman, by Shelley Duvall, by Brian Denham, uh, wow. and, and Barry Nelson. I think I've got a separate signature. Um, I didn't get Kubrick's. You know, I was a bit too nervous to ask him, but uh, yeah. Uh, understandable yeah. that's understandable and I was, I was actually talking with jack about a lot i can't remember the i, I can't say all because it takes too long but we're talking about lots of things this will be my book a bit later but um we're I'm half an hour talking about life and this and that the other and, and you know and so he signed up for me and i said well thank you so much i said could you sign one from my friend lucas as well because he's a good friend so he did another one so he did four, four one two three four one two three four autographs for me uh and um then I said, I've got a present for you, Jack. He said, really, Gary? I said, yeah. I said to him, I want you to have this. So I handed across this five-shilling coin with the, Her Majesty the Queen on it. On the oh, thing. wow. Really, be a silver. It was actually silver. Right, of course. Um, he looked at it, and he goes to me. And I wish you could see this one. Mm. Yeah, I looked him right in the eyes. I said, no, I'd like you to have this, Jack. And... Because he mostly saw something nice in me, uh, yeah. uh, 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 he said, "You, sh- you sure, Derek?" I said, "Yeah." Are you sure about this? I said, "Yeah, yeah." It's oh impressive. man! He goes, he looked at me and he said, "Derek," honestly, with a tear in his eye, he said to me, "Derek, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever given to me." Jeez! Wow, that. Oh. And I still, and I'm getting tingling. Oh. Uh, are you feeling it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I am. So my head is all my head standing up on end. But that's what he said, and I tell you, I could see him almost to tears. And then, well, you know, so that we're off about, and, uh, and I, I wished him luck, and I said, hey, hopefully, see you in the future, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that was it. And, and uh, so, mm-hmm. the, end, the negative thing about it is, um, uh, and I can tell you this. He put well. he put it on eBay. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I was talking to his driver, who's an English guy, who was a bit kind of a hello mate type, you know, and I didn't like him that much, but he would tell me stories, which he shouldn't have really done, but I can tell you this, you can edit out if you want to, mm-hmm. but he'd tell me stories about a week before. He said, oh yeah, I'm Jack Nicholson's driver, you know, he said, yeah, I'll take Jack, I'll take Jack to West End, he used to pick up a prostitute in, um, uh, in, um, uh, what's it called, Mayfair, uh, yeah, to this area in Mayfair in Shepherd's Market where the prostitutes I used to see them myself uh, in the 70s we used to go in like uh, and, and say hello to them you know myself my friend and uh, he would pick up the prostitute and then he'd get her in the back of the car and then he's in, 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 and, and have, have sex with them uh, screw them in the back of the car and he, and he would look at the driver and say Go around Hyde Park one more time. <laughs> oh my God! So he would, the driver would just kind of volunteer this, unsolicited. 
Yeah, he told me that, yeah. And, and the thing is... That's kind of crass. I mean, one thing that's not different between American and British culture is, like, no, nobody likes a rat. No, but he should have said that to me. But that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, and anyway, the funny thing is, uh, when I walked, as I was walking out the door, he suddenly turned up. Mm. And he kind, of, he kind of, like, looked at me, like, really angry. He says, what are you doing in here? Like, because he didn't see Jack was in the background. I said, well, Jack. And then uh, Jack looks at this guy, and I can't remember his name. He say his name was Simon. He said, listen, Simon, he's Derek's a friend of mine. You leave him alone, you know. Because uh, I was very right intimidated. Right on. And I go, oh, so, sorry, Jack. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. You know. Yeah, and yeah. Good I, for him. He looked really angry. Went, I think he actually grabbed me. I think he possibly grabbed me. But, um, you know, it was much slimmer and different than I would have hit him now. Uh, but, you know, that's what it is. But, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so during the, the filming, uh, it was great to work with, uh, be uh, along with Jack. He, he was that's big. That's so cool. That, what a cool story of him to do that, to, like, have your back when, you know, this 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 jerk driver wanted to give yeah. you a hard time. Like he was being protective. He was very of Jack, and Jack's like, "You don't know anything about this guy. Back off." I yeah. love st hearing stuff like that. Well, you know what? I tell you this because I was a very speedy person for many years. I still can be. Mm -hmm. um, what I used to do is the way I calm myself down. I used to say, "I used to say to myself, think Jack." So, like, if I speed, I'll go think Jack. Right. relax and you know and it would actually calm me down and center me by thinking about jack because i because i'm an impersonator anyway uh and i can uh -huh. I, I i can do lots of voices and, and and i study people um subconsciously i i took on his persona sometimes as jack nicholson i would i'd pick it would, it would be very helpful to my uh development actually um mm -hmm. as, a, as a human being um well, I, I, he was one of my favourite actors uh, I've ever worked with, apart from Robert Mitchum and uh, Andy Hopkins. Uh, he was one of the most favourite people. Uh, I love him dearly. And uh, um, there That's is so cool. I can tell you another story which connects with Jack again. But uh, if you want to hear it, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, years later, I'm, I'm in Soho in London, and I'm, I used to go to this coffee place called Patricia Valerie, of which my friend eventually owned. And um, they sold it now. It's a big franchise now. But you used to get all, you know, the, everyone, you know, Tim Roth, uh, Bob Geldof, everyone used to go in there. It was just a coffee bar. All the people in Soho, all the film people used to go in there. Very nice sure. stuff and cake. And uh, so I was walking uh, down uh, Old Quantum Street one day, and I bumped into an old friend of mine called uh, Dave. And Dave Whiting, his name is, um, he worked a lot with um, Adam Ant. And he, he was the one who created that uh, Adam and image with the, the regalia, this pirate. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was his idea. It's in the V&A, his, um, his, his, his idea. Anyway, so Jack, uh, sorry, uh, Dave has got this kind of holding his costumes. He works in costume. You know, he's like costume, daily costume person. Not a right. designer, but a guy who worked in, in, in many films. He worked on numerous films. He's still a friend of mine now. And uh, he's in, I think he's in the 70s now. And he had this costume with him. I said, what's that costume? He said, oh, Derek, you know, um, I'm, work, I'm working this on a, film, a new film about Batman. I said, really? And so this is Jack Nicholson's Joker's costume. Oh, my God. And there, wow. And there, there I am sitting in the coffee, and then there is the whole, you know, the, the purple, the, 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 the hat. Uh, the, the red, yes. Wow. Everything was there. So I, I, I felt, you know, this is before even Jack 
uh, wore it. It was obviously um, made to measure for him, uh, but they just picked it up. So, and then, he, and then Dave said to me, he said, Dale, tell me a bit of Jack back. I heard the stories about you and Jack, because there was a rumor in, 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 the, in the film business for years, just after that, and I, would, I was asked numerous times on other films, uh, I heard you went up to Jack's uh, uh, dressing room. I said, yeah. And there was this room. He said, oh, you know, was there any funny stuff? I said, no, I was just talking. I didn't tell him the story of, as I told you. All but right. the room was about me having an affair with Jack Nicholson. This is what we're... <laughs> Dude, but, I mean, not for nothing, but I mean, wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I mean, he's not, he's not that way inclined anyway. The thing is, <laughs> I've done in that position. It's a bit like the Harvey Weinstein thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Done, but um, Dad, I suppose ready to get out. But um, as being kind of a shy person, I didn't, I wouldn't know what to do. But uh, uh, just best, best to just let people talk. You know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't I, matter I, when bit. you know the truth. What does it matter when you know the truth? You know what it didn't, it didn't bother me to this day. I, if people think that way, let them think that way. I don't care. Um, so, uh, so. Dave asked me all these questions. I told him these questions and stuff I told him about. So then Dave had a better picture of this guy. He was a bit nervous about working with him because he was going to be a, his assistant and or the, the costume assistant on, on the film. And I said, well, when you see uh, Jack, would you give him our regards and explain this, explain that? He said, oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. Anyway, uh, about a couple of years go by, and I bumped into Dave uh, very much where my apartment used to be. Um, quite near where I live now and in Kent and uh, I said Dave oh, how'd it go he says yeah, yeah you know what Derek I ended up going to LA and staying at Jack's house and and uh, you know who would believe it oh, nice. the drugs the women and yeah, one, yeah. one day I was sitting there and there was me and Mick Jagger and Danny DeVito and Joe Pesci Pesci uh, etc <laughs> and, and but I you know I, as you know Derek I don't like the sun that much and he stayed there. He stayed there for about, almost, I think it was about four months. And Jack paid for his flight, everything. Wow. And wanted Dave to be there because Jack likes normal people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but then Dave decided to go back. And then Jack offered him uh, a part in The Two Jakes. And, uh, and he did. Oh, wow. But he turned it down. What? was he wanted to work on Memphis Bell because he liked that period. Because he, he, Dave. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I can't argue that you know Harry Connick you know he likes that those costumes uh, and he wanted to, he really wanted to work and he must would have earned more money on that anyway but Jack really looked after him well I mean he's a silly boy a silly man really but uh, I don't think he sees Jack anymore speaks to Jack anymore but that's that story but I'm a bit annoyed that he never passed my regards on to Jack he, he, he yeah. said forgot which I've got forgiven for that but you know, that's the way it is so people people tend to use stuff to, for their own promotion that's the trouble you know yeah, I mean, I, I hate to slip this in, but I almost like feel like saying, you know, uh, uh oh, he don't look happy. He's been using Brand X. Um, and well, and not for nothing, but since you brought up Memphis Bell, you know, uh, a while back, Stephen and I uh, interviewed Adam Rakoff, who was just a great guy. He helped Matthew Modine develop the Full Metal Jacket Diary app for iPad. Oh. And, uh, and, and, and since we were on the topic of uh, costumes, apparently Matthew wore his own grandfather's uh, bomber jacket during the shooting of, of Memphis Bell. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I just thought that was a lovely touch. I mean, that's that that's one of the things I love about actors, and, and you know, just that that dedication and also finding a personal connection to the character. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's it's very much like Chekhov, you know, Anton Chekhov with the mm -hmm. uh, the, the actual um, sorry, uh, Michael Chekhov. You say Michael Chekhov? It's that kind of. I studied uh, Chekhov for a while, and uh, uh, my friend, uh, um, the teacher Graham Dixon, uh, and. Uh, yeah, so I understand that, and you know, putting the hat on and and pretending you got, a, a, you know, getting to the character by, uh, but I can do it anyway. I, I do it by being a mimic and uh, getting to my characters that way. But, uh, yeah, but sure. props really help when I wear a prop. I can become that person, you know. But no, but I can tell you about Scatman if you want. I, I was about to get to that, yeah, because it sounds like you guys developed uh, a lovely little friendship. And Scatman was such a nice person at lunchtime. Uh, I said, because uh, I didn't realize at the time that I'd seen him on TV as Hong Kong Fooey, because he did the voice. Of course, yes, yes. Henry, the mild-mannered janitor. Could be. Hong Kong Fooey, number one super guy. Hong Kong Fooey, quicker than the human eye. He's got style, a groovy style, and a mob that just won't stop. When the going gets rough, he's super tough with a Hong Kong Fooey chop. Yeah. Hong Kong Fooey, number one super guy. Hong Kong Fooey, quicker than the human eye. Tick-a-chong, 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 Hong Kong Fooey, panrific! Uh, as I say, uh, I'll go to the canteen, which is... Um, near the, there was a bar on the canteen. I'll go in there and I'll be queuing up with Scatman. And he goes, oh, hello, hey, how are you? I can't do his voice. He goes, hey, what's your name? And I was chatting. And I've got my food and he's in front of me. And I'm, you know, going to pay. He goes, oh, no, 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 I'm paying, I'm paying. Almost mm -hmm. every day, and I didn't yeah. expect it, almost every day we had lunch together and it, and, and he paid. He would never let me yeah. pay. That's pure class. That's 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 Look, pure what? class. He told me that he he told me he was a godfather to um, Sammy Davis Jr. Who, in fact, who I did see in concert in, in the uh, early eighties, I think, at the, at the London Palladium. Nice. But he was um, his godfather. And he was telling me all this. I can't remember all the stories, but he, I remember the, remember him talking about Sammy, and we're just talking. About, he was telling me about his dancing and his singing and his, what he did and. You know, uh, he, he was such a nice person, and he, he was always very nice uh, um, to me uh, during the film. And uh, uh, he just—he seems like such a gem of a person. Yeah, person. Yeah. I mean, I, I spoke. I mean, Shelley Duvall. She was a bit kind of a bit crazy. You know, I found her to be a little bit, it's a bit oh, very highly strung. Mm -hmm. um, well, she had to be in character, and uh, you know, in Vivian's documentary, you, you do see that. Uh, you know, Stanley had every uh, reason, justification for needing her to be in a constantly manic state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one scene. Uh, Jack is behind uh, rehearsing because we did about 50 takes for certain one, almost maybe more sometimes, even 100 possibly. Mm. And um, but it's OK. We've been paid. You know, I think we, I think I may have worked on it for over two weeks, actually, maybe two and a half. But um, I remember... Uh, Jack uh, going behind the, the desk at the Overlook, and then uh, Shelley's standing beside him, just resting, and Kubrick is setting up and doing the lineup of what's going to be happening next, and telling the assistant director what's going to happen. 
And Jack then suddenly <laughs> he gets he puts his hand on the, the desk uh, thing and he goes he starts knocking. Hey Kubrick, I'm getting pretty horny over here. I'm gonna fuck it. <laughs> wow. Really kept he kept and really pushing Kubrick all the time. Kubrick, it's taking too long, you know. And 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 he oh, was out and he would. That's brilliant. That's so funny. Stuff. A bit like that, you know, thing. Yeah, yeah. He did all that kind of stuff. He was playing around quite a bit, and and but he did say that he shouted. He, he was doing this thing, knocking like almost like a masturbation kind of thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Kubrick, get the shoulder on. I'm gonna fuck Shelley in a minute, you know, like that, you know. <laughs> God, oh my God! These stories are just like—I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, I remember doing that, and I'm not many people remember that. I've got a good memory because I was so absorbed with Jack, watching him all the time. And yeah. even, even I, uh, when uh, there was a lunch break, Kubrick would still be like setting up and planning next scene and doing, you know, just getting everything sorted uh, in his vision. Um, uh, I was I was sometimes wait you know and, and watch watch Stanley Kubrick work and uh, I was fascinated by just watching him just watching him uh, I may have may have absorbed some things by watching him mm -hmm. as with working with uh, for example uh, Peter Hunt uh, who directed um, on the Majesty's Secret Service and Jack right. Cardiff, Jack Cardiff who who did the lighting camera of Black Narcissus and uh, and uh, Girl great Mo movie and he directed Girl on a Motorcycle. And the African Queen. I mean, Jack Cardiff won the Oscar several years ago. He's sadly died dead now. He was the best mm. best lighting cameraman in the business, and he was very. I was very close to him. He used to we used to speak to each other quite a lot on the phone. Um, but you know, working, mm. uh, being around those kind of people, and John Coquillian, who was a Canadian who uh, worked with Stan Peckinpah. He was a friend of mine as well. And, oh and wow! I, I watch him work. You know, he worked on uh, Last Place on Earth and and uh, a couple of other movies. And he worked at Straw, um, Straw Dogs as well with Suzanne George, and that. so I, I got. I always liked, even though I did, you know, the, the supporting artists work. I always was fascinated by just the, the direction, the, how, how the, everything worked, you know, costume. I would watch everything yeah. as much as possible, absorb. And people say, "You're you, you know, the assistants would come up to you, go, Derek, you, you can be at lunch." I said, "I'd like to watch." And some people, some of the assistant directors were really okay about it, but others, you know, didn't want you to be around. You know, you've got, you know, just a you know, just go, you know, um, mm -hmm. but see, cause I, I actually, uh, Michael Stevenson, who's also uh, worked in the shining is one of the, you think was the second AD on it. I'm still kind of friends with him. He's on Facebook, I think still, but his daughter runs it. And, uh, Michael Stevenson regarded as the best second assistant in the, in the world. He won an Oscar as well. Um, on the Oscar several years ago and he was he worked also on the uh, flash gordon as well uh, he was assistant director on that oh okay okay so, oh derek don't worry about it yes okay yeah just there it's all right he doesn't he, did, he was really cool with me you know and uh because he, he, he started himself in the post room at pinewood and and uh watched his way up to assistant director and uh wonderful man He's one of the premier, or I should say was one of the premier film directors of our time. He was an icon. Stanley Kubrick always paid extreme attention to detail to the point where he did not only a thousand take, takes, 
but he would actually have their, the actors and actresses actually come back, if, even if they're overseas, to come back to do and refilm um, the movies, no matter where they were. He was such a perfectionist. Every single detail to how you're holding your pen, to where your hands were, to your smile, expression, he just didn't settle for okay. It had to be perfect every single time. Very well with Brian uh, Denham. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he, I didn't realize he was very close friends, I think, with Barbara Streisand. But I, I thought Barry was, I actually thought he was gay. I mean, I wasn't sure because like, he looked. <laughs> he, was a bit, and he was very nice, though. You know, but Barry Nelson was great. I mean, he was he was a star, you know, Barry Nelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, he played Jimmy Bond. He, he was the original James Bond. No, but Stanley, I, I wasn't a big fan of Stanley ever since like, in 69 when, when I saw. 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And I was in the way that my uncle Terry, um, who actually um, worked on it, I want to ask you about that. You're, so, you're, yeah, your uncle Terry uh, Duggan, yeah, uh, was also one of the uh, man apes, along with Dan Richter, who we got to interview. Tell us about your uncles. Like, do you have any recollections of him telling yeah, you? Terry, well, Terry was my godfather and uncle, and he married my my father's sister, and. And he, you know, he saved my life once. I was almost fell off a, a cliff. I think it was in Bright. What? Yeah, I, I went. I, I, I was always like a, a kind of. I most probably should have been a stuntman because I, I used to jump and fall and do lots of things and sure, sure, to my face and I mean, you know, jumping around. I was. I had no fear, and I went to run. I think it's about two and a bit years. Old, I went to run off the edge of a cliff. How old were you? About two and a half, possibly. Oh my gosh! Wow. Okay. During wow. that time, it was actually I also took my my father's father's uh, heart tablet. So in the same year, <laughs> I almost died twice. You know. Oh my gosh! No, three times because you know, I just remembered because when I was two, two, two and a half, between two and three, I almost ran off the cliff where Terry saved me. I took the heart tablets at my my mum's and my grandfather's house, and mm. then I rushed to hospital and have a stomach pump. And the third thing is, at um, the uh, Lido uh, in, up in Finchley, I, I fell in the uh, the ten foot, which is about three and a half, three meters. You know, that ten foot, uh, and I couldn't swim then, and I, I went under, and I was wow. under. Oh yeah, I was pulled down, and the guy who pulled me out and saved my life, who's a friend of my dad's, who's also a stuntman, uh, was a guy called um, uh, Roy Scammell. And Roy Scammell, uh, he, he worked, I mean, I think he, he works on Flash Gordon. He's, he was a pork man and, and other things. So it's all this connection. I think he must have worked with Kubrick. He's never worked with Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. So, but your, uh, your Uncle Terry, so he saved your life the first time. Yeah, Terry, um, I didn't realize that too late because I, I researched a little few years ago before he died, and it said in, on, on IMDb it was a, 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 a rouster, a, a, like so. I thought, like you know, a Western cowboy, you know, a, a, a rouster gets gets the like cowboy who roused. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but I, I thought well, I didn't remember any cowboys in in that film. Um, and then then I then, so, then I heard uh, through Great Bond, no, Terry was one of the apes in it because of his um, ability. Because in fact. When he worked on as a supporting artist uh, on um, uh, "You Only Live Twice" uh, at Pinewood Studios, they asked the uh, the supporting artists if because they didn't have much, enough stuntmen, if mm. they would like to uh, you know go to the top of this uh, this kind of uh, mountain with this big rocket and and abseil down, you know. And he said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And then he, then from that, he got his stunt card, and he did a bit wow. of stuff. 
and then he obviously actually you know because he could tumble and stuff he, he uh, uh, you know was in that movie in, in 2001 and in fact my grandparents on my mother's side took me to see it and and because my grandfather uh, not my grandmother so much my grandmother was a Jehovah's Witness uh, who was a Catholic before I became Jehovah's Witness <laughs> and so I was around that environment as a child and I don't have that belief myself uh, and I remember when we came out in 2001 my, my grandmother loved it uh, but my grandfather, because of his belief system, he hates yeah. it. <laughs> What's that? What is that bloody monolith thing? What the hell is that? <laughs> you know, what the hell? Uh, oh, uh, man. Uh, but my, my, just before I go back to oh, Terry, my other claim to fame is my, my grandfather, um, my grandfather, my father's side, his name is Arthur Ernest Lyons. He uh, was the person who made the suits for uh, Edward, you know, Edward, um, King Edward who abdicated, uh, and also um, uh, Cary Grant, uh, and made the suit for North by Northwest. You know, no kidding! Wow, he made that great suit. Yeah, he was actually uh, uh, Cary Grant's um, tailor, and he he also did uh, Robert Mitchum and Fred Astaire and Rex Harrison. That is incredible. Yeah, it was a place, he worked at a place called French, it's called Kilgars now, but it was called Kilgar French Stanbury from the 1930s right away through to the 60s, and then he retired from ill health, and he died a year later. But let's so say, getting back to Terry Duncan, Terry, Please, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to see him over the years, but he never, ever um, helped me out. He never kind of gave me, he gave me some advice, you know, go to drama school, which I did. I went to Anna Schur's for a while, and then I, later on I studied another other, uh, at the Actors Centre, and, and, uh, I did the courses, um, uh, acting courses, and this and that and the other, just to get you know uh, get it together. And I mean, uh, not to be a bit blasé about it, but it did, a lot of stuff I did uh, acting wise and training as an actor, I, I kind of knew it anyway. It's like things which I felt I'm relearning, and mm. uh, I was able to uh, do it. You know, I mean, the last part I did in 2014. I was working with this girl called Jill Greenacre. She's a quite an established actress here and teacher. And I, I learnt my dialogue and I was BBC executive, Peter, I think it was Zed Listers. And at the end, of, we did this, you know, the whole uh, scene, like quite a bit of dialogue. She said to me, do you know what, Derek? You're a bloody good actor. I said, well, thank you. I, didn't really, I never <laughs> ever thought that, you know. Um, but yeah. But anyway, say, Terry never helped me. I did everything myself. I never mm-hmm. wanted to do this. I just wanted to be working, and I, I worked with numerous people. I mean, you certainly did, my man. Mm. I mean, no question about it. Like you know, I was saying at the at, at the top of the show that like the films you were in, in the from the eighties through the nineties, in the seventies through the nineties, it's like I, I mean, it's just it's it's like best of British films. Yeah. from that entire span. And and there's people, some of my my dear friends and I, we talk about the 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 span of films both british and american really that came out between the mid to late 70s really up until only about the early 90s is just being like i mean maybe it's because of our ages and when we grew up you know during the home video revolution and and remember when you had to go to a movie theater to see a film more than once and then having the uh you know advantage of watching it at home and again and again Maybe it's more biased, you know, but it's it does feel like, you know, we had this golden era of films that just and you were in so many of them. 
it's, yeah. it's mind-blowing, dude. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, with, with, for example, one of my favorite movies I worked on, apart from Flash Gordon, I play three characters in Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worked on it uh, for about eight weeks. Uh, I got on very well with Ornella Mutti, and uh, in, that's another story. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I ended up in a dressing room a few times. But anyway, um, <laughs> but she was very nice, and I, I was in contact with her a few years ago. She wants me, to, if I go to Rome, she wants to meet up. So when I eventually get there, I have to contact her. Through oh, her. cool. Yeah. yeah, at some point. Yeah, I'd like to do see it. Her. Uh, I would, yeah, I would like to do more than that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but no, uh, uh, some flames never die; they just flicker. Well, I worked on a thing called um, Crawl. On a distant planet, a great kingdom was ravaged by beings who came from the future to conquer the universe. Now, the only survivors follow a doubtful seer and a throneless king. They will hold her in the Black Fortress. You must have help. Thieves, bandits, fighters and brawlers. Desperate men. Those are the kind of men I need. Well, you heard him. We are now an army. At the end of an impossible journey, they must fight an invincible enemy. Here's the knowledge you seek. I shall be your king. In the fortress, you will face more than the slayers. What is about to happen to them could never have happened on Earth. Columbia Pictures presents a world apart from anything you have seen before. And I'm actually the main white slayer in the movie. Was Are like, you really? Dude, okay, I was going to ask about Crawl, even though it's not Kubrick related, I know, but I saw that movie in the theater and I love it. I have it on Blu ray. T- tell us, you were the main white yeah, slayer? I, I'm the slayer with the tiger. You know, seen with the tiger. And, of course. Yeah, well, that's me, and that was actually sit on a, on a kind of rostrum. We built high, and the guy right. behind me is a guy called Dominic Weimark. Now, Dominic Weimark, I think he works in the States now on um, set designing on movies and stuff in horror films, but he was the son of Patrick Weimark, who was in Where Eagles, Where Eagles Dare. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Patrick Weimark. And uh, but, um, Dominic Weimark, as I said, he, he was a lovely guy, and we got these costumes on. And they, picked, they chose us uh, to be these white slayers. They had stuntmen as well doing it in the swamp scenes and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it was actually Nosher or Dinny Powell, who I knew, still another son, Gary, who's a stunt coordinator for the Bond films. Uh, I think almost drowned because uh, <laughs> because they were in the swamp thing. It was actually 007 stage where they were coming for the swamps. And Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I think one of them was passed out. But no, getting back to the white slayer, yeah, I'm the guy... They put us in this kind of round. They got this tiger, real tiger, and they didn't feed him for three or four days. What they did, they got a a, 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 a life-size uh, slayer, you know, just a costume, and mm-hmm. they, they put some steak in the, in the top part of it because what they wanted to do is get the tiger in there, and then the tiger has to jump and, and knock the slayer's head off, you know. Right, right. Or go for it. Anyway, uh, we, they, put us, <laughs> they put us on the front, and these, these costumes were made as, as foam, 
and he must have weighed about 200 pounds plus. Wow. Very heavy. And you, you could only walk from side to side and, and I'm carrying this kind of laser kind of gun thing. And they put us behind his perspex. Okay. Anyway, no one told the tiger uh, that <laughs> to, who to go for. So what the tiger did, he went in circle and went straight for us. Oh, and my God. No way out. There's no way out. Now, I don't know if it was plastic or glass. I'm not sure. And the tiger went and hit the 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 uh, the perspex and almost got his claws around the side of it. Oh wow! Wrapping, um, you know, and, you know, but I had to react to it. So there's that scene where the boy says Slayer, and I shoot the boy, you know, and then he goes down, and then then the next scene, the tiger jumps uh, and, and 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 gets gets. But well, they eventually did the very bad special effects if you see knocking the Slayer down, but. Um, so we did that take about 10 times. And I remember uh, at the end, I said to the assistant director, because I spoke to the stuntman, I said, look, that's, that's a bloody stunt. They said, yeah. And I went to the, I had to eventually go to the producer. I said, look, you know, you've got to pay us um, this, you know, you, you get money for wearing the costume uh, plus this, plus but overtime, etc." And I said, you've got to pay me like, almost a stunt. Uh, you 10 know. times. Yeah. You're do- with a tiger. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Well, uh, well, I eventually did get a uh, very, we did get paid very well, but not, it wasn't, it was almost a stunt rate, but it wasn't exactly, but we still did very well out of it. But yet again, I think they did us out of that um, $40, but I think I got about uh, $600 for that, but um, it was quite a lot of money in those days. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean... Wow. All right. So, I, I mean, I, I just have to ask about, I mean, I'm showing my yeah. bias because I, I, I loved Gray Stoke. I, my dad, I, I had, I have, thankfully, he's still with us, uh, you know, such a great dad, very cool, always took us to any movie he wanted to see. And he n- never, uh, you know, uh, he always allowed me to, you know, kind of feel it out myself. He didn't insult my young intelligence, I guess. And so he would take me. I mean, I saw Blade Runner in 1982 and I was 11. And I, I asked him to take me back to see it again. Um, I saw Greystoke. Uh, loved that. I mean, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We saw all the Indiana Jones, the Bond films, that, you know, that you were in. Um, and one of them, which stuck with me, which is just the strangest movie. And it of course has a cult following of its own and I have it on Blu-ray. I love to watch it as a a comfort movie. Sometimes late at night is, is life force. From the director of Poltergeist and the writer of alien comes a terrifying new film. I'm getting a very small radar cross section. 150 miles long. EGR is confirmed. Tell them we have an artificial object out here. In the tale of Haley's Comet, there's something wrong. Something ancient, something evil. Jesus. Houston, we have a problem. Something's happening to me. Something hungry that's brought to Earth. She's destroyed worlds. That girl was no girl. She was totally alien to this planet and our life form, and totally dangerous. Just found a body in Hyde Park. I visited you how? In my mind. Let it go! It's already spreading. You didn't stop it. It's too late. 
Strike Force. The terror has just begun. And so we had to rehearse in the night. We did two weeks of night shoots. In fact, at the same time, uh, my friend is just get back to Cuba again. My friend uh, uh, at the time, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Grant Hall uh, was working nights on Life Force, but in the days he was working at um, on um, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Wow. Which, it's actually, well, it was actually putting in the the because they had to make it the East End. Uh, they filmed it uh, someplace in uh, near the uh, East End uh, on this on this uh, this, uh, this kind of um, the Becton Gas Works, I believe. That's, that's right, and they had to put the they were helping put the palm trees in. But no, but back back after we had to kind of rehearse and do this kind of zombie kind of walk that they do now, and I'd do my bit. And I remember uh, Derek Crack was the first assistant director. Now Derek actually worked he he actually worked on 2001 with stanley kubrick and derek's no longer with us see i like quite liked him he was very brash uh mm. englishman he talked you know yeah. got, uh, you're right he had a rough voice you know <laughs> and um, he said to, uh, i remember because i was like you know i wasn't i was pretty confident in my when i was doing things and he's, he's talking to about, about seeing what we're doing and, and the bus comes in and there's the zombies come out and it's all this kind of fire things and you know this it's like the end of the world kind of scenario uh, in, in um and i said to uh derek i said uh, derek i said um because he called me Dale as well because i said what is my motivation in this it's just derek fuck your motivation just do it so like you know so we had night shoots uh basically as a zombie but, but uh, and i can't remember i haven't seen the film for ages and then we also were in the night shoots with Patrick Stewart and uh, the the, mm-hmm. that, oh, uh, uh, the actress who was who was naked in the beginning. She was naked, was she? I think. What's her name? Uh, yes. Oh, her name. Uh, 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 gosh, I should know this. She was. I had such a crush on her. Who didn't? Yeah, well, pretty good. Uh, Listen, let's, let's tell this right. We filmed. We we filmed that. In fact, you know, it was called Space Vampires originally. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, which would have been an apt title because, like I said, the movie is all over the place, almost doesn't know what it wants to be, which is one thing the critics kind of panned it for at the time. But, you know, us us kids who were home with our VCRs watching the same movies again and again, that's one of the things that endeared it to us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. The, it, it, night, we did a night shoot up, uh, in Barnet in a place called Totteridge at this council building, the 1970s council building, where... Uh, and, uh, uh, Peter Firth is in it. He's a nice chap. chap. I met him a few years ago. He, um, I think he plays a detective in it. He's a blonde guy, a curly haired chap. And uh, I think Patrick Stewart's there as well. Because I didn't know who Patrick was then in those days because uh, until he became Luke Picard. But I remember, I could believe it's a freezing night shoot about two o'clock in the morning. And suddenly, there's this woman walking naked in front of me. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I just remember her name is Matilda May. Yeah, she's beautiful. I mean, she had a beautiful body. I'm just, I've got to say, she really. Oh, and her fa- her face is timeless. I mean, I I, nice. I uh, googled her a couple of years ago when I got the Life Force Blu-ray, yeah. and she's still a gorgeous, gorgeous woman. I look after look her up, but no, she um, she was walking naked. I, we couldn't believe it. I mean, you just can't believe it. It's great. You know, <laughs> I loved it. But we did night shoot up there. I don't know what I, I can't remember what I did. Maybe they used me up there, but I remember seeing her naked anyway. Uh, but yeah, um, 
Well, uh, I, I, I just have to tie in also, that, I mean, that, that there's, again, there's all these roads that lead back to mm -hmm. Kubrick. Now, here you are in Crawl, and you get attacked by the tiger. And if I'm not mistaken, your Uncle Terry is the man ape who is credited as being attacked by the leopard in the Dawn of Man sequence in 2001. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Something like, yeah, because, yeah, he, 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 I didn't look that, but... Yeah, he he's in there, in there as a monkey. I never I never just spoke to I never spoke to years later because he used to used to write pantomime in England. We have a thing called pantomime, and uh, and he did quite a few. He wrote pantomimes, and he he, he was a, he actually became a, um, he had this kind of variety act where he was a stage drunk, and uh, it was like the old school of variety. Yeah, so yeah. Many years he knew everyone. I mean, he was a water rat, and uh, which is quite a big thing in this country uh, to be part of. And he knew a lot of people, variety. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, he. I never discussed that with him. And uh, uh, he, I was just pointing out that it's an interesting little uh, 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 pseudo connection, for lack of a better word. That you know, your uncle. You know, you were attacked by the tiger in Kroll, and uh, yeah. and your uncle was attacked by the leopard in two thousand one. Funny, really. Actually, how, yeah, I think isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. It's connections. I know. I've had. See, what I, you know, whenever I went on the film, it's like years later in about '94. It's actually true. Now, I had I had worked and I had met and had uh, many uh, dinners with um, a, a a director um, called um, uh, Nick Rogue. Now, Nick Rogue um, uh, worked with many famous people. He's the one who directed Man Who Fell to Earth. Now, oh, yeah, 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 of course. son, Waldo, was a good friend of mine because we worked on uh, many movies together when he was a runner, up to assistant director, etc. And Waldo eventually becomes the first assistant. He's now retired from it, and he does other stuff. And I end up turning on this big kind of crowd call, and I, cause I left the business for a few years. I was doing other stuff. I was working at Planet Hollywood Restaurant. I was doing all this other stuff. And um, it was kind of slight recession during the 90s anyway, I was doing a TV show called The Bill. I did that for five years. Stopped it in 91. Then I was out of work. Then I became a lifeguard. And uh, it went on and on. And eventually, you know, uh, it happens. So I turn up one day for this. I thought I might as well just go back to see what it's like again. So I turn up at County Hall, which is near where the big Millennium Wheel is now. And uh, there's like hundreds of uh, sporting artists uh, there. And I'm talking to my dear late friend, Michael Leader, who's sadly not with us anymore. He was very good friends with Stan Laurel's um, daughter, and he was part of Sons of the Desert, and he knew everyone in the film business. I mean, Bill Nighy, you know, um, who I worked with many years and had drinks with, uh, who's been in a lot of those films with um, uh, Kate Beckinsale, you know, the, the vampire films. Oh, uh, Underworld, yeah. Well, yeah, he's in one of those. Uh, he's lovely guy, Bill Nighy. Um, but... I remember Michael, I talked to Michael, and Michael, his father was a big band leader in this country, and he, he, he we were chatting away, and suddenly this assistant ran up to me. He said, are you Derek Lyons? I said, yeah. And then Michael looks at everyone and says, I can't believe it. He's a very Jewish boy. He goes, I can't believe it. Derek's been out of the business for all these years. He turns up on a crowd call, and he's got, he's got picked for something, obviously. So... <laughs> So I go, I go into the, this hall, and then there's Waldo, who's the first assistant. And he said, oh, I've got a little part for you, Derek. I said, really? He said, yeah, you're going to be doing stuff with the Ted Danson. You know? I said, right. So I end up having a little feature in a thing called Loch Ness. Uh, wow. I'm actually the guy who, who delivers the package. And you hear me say, oh, here's your package. It's like, like you know. The, it was right. 
to Ted Danson and then and he shows the slides and it's not really, no spoilers, but, you know, it's not what everyone thinks it is, you know, because he has proof about Loch Ness. So that's what happened to me. That's my life story. Whenever I turned up on a film, I always got uh, called back. Uh, same with Victor Victoria. They called for me to be. Another great film. With Julie Andrews. I was in the gay club patron scene. Yeah, yeah. See, uh, but I was always asked for, you know, and I didn't really need, uh, it's even like, I mean, all due respect, I'm mean, a much better actor than whatever, whatever I would ever be is Cary Grant. I mean, Cary Grant never had an agent, really. He did everything himself. He, yeah. He did himself, you know, and um, so I was literally, everything I did, uh, word to mouth, and people called me up, and, you know, then eventually I, be- I was going to become an assistant director, uh, and I worked on um, a couple of things as third, and Michael Stevenson and a guy called Andy Armstrong, which is um, a great guy. Uh, he's now based in America in Hollywood, uh, who's actually Vic Armstrong's brother, who I know as well. Vic Armstrong, Indiana Jones, um, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who doubled Harrison Ford, and right, right, yeah, and it, you know, did all the, he did the scene with the big tank and you know the horse riding, and you know, they're renowned for that. But yeah, so you know, you kind of all these things get interconnected. It's amazing, really. People. I mean, I know that some, uh, some. There's always an, an arse out there who, uh, when I did this film, Elstree, 1976, uh, which you must. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, you know, I talk. I always, you know, take the Mickey or the piss out of myself. I'm not really I'm a bit self-deprecating. A bit like um, Roger Moore used to be, and um, it's a good way to be. I mean, if 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 you can make fun of yourself, you can take the slings and arrows from others. Well, Robert Mitchum, and I quote, said to me one day, and we talked about I was very in awe of him, and he came up to me quite a few times, started telling me, telling me jokes and two other colleagues, and, and he says, Derek, Hollywood is all smoke and mirrors and full of horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he was so dry about it. It's brilliant. And, and I remember someone had written a, a review about the, the Elstree film. I, haven't, I don't always read reviews, but I just read this one. And this guy is obviously jealous. He's a, Oh, this guy's done so many films. He's been in so many films. He was just a fucking extra. That's what he was, <laughs> just a fucking extra. Oh, boy. And, and I said, well, let him think that way. Because, look, it, uh, I'm credited. For example, um, Alan Ladd, the great Alan Ladd. Of course. Uh, Shane. He did about 30 to 40 films uncredited. You know? And so yeah, it, yeah. uncredited doesn't mean you weren't in the movie. It just means you were uncredited. It doesn't right. mean you speak. It doesn't mean you weren't in the film. Because they can't there's only so many credits. Look at the job or apocalypse now. I mean when I saw that film, I saw good it back point. Good point. Huh? I was just saying good point. Go on. Yeah, when you saw Apocalypse Now, go ahead. Yeah, mm. well, I went to see Apocalypse Now, it was a long film. Uh, at the ABC in, in uh, Shaftesbury Avenue. I saw it ten times the guy I knew like, the guys I knew let, let me in free. Uh, you'd get a booklet with all the credits in it because <laughs> it's yeah. you know, too much to put on the screen. It's so much. And so people don't understand. They see people out there are very getting right. Wise, uh, and it's like me. It's not that I'm famous. It's that I have the connection with, I'm connected to star Wars. I'm connected to Indiana Jones. I'm connected to James Bond. I'm Amen. Amen, brother connected to Flash Gordon. It's connection with, it's not because like Mark Hamill and do just respect Mark and that. Lucky boy and, uh, and the late Carrie Fisher, she's a wonderful woman, I miss her dearly. Um, th- these people are, have the connection with, it's because that film becomes very famous or cult-like that you're connected with it. Now, a story which um, 
was told to me many years ago. There was a John Wayne movie, and um, oh, I do like John Wayne. And uh, of course. there was this guy who was at the bar in a scene. I can't remember which movie it was. I'm sure it was John Wayne film. And he goes up the bar, and he just get the guy pours him a beer, and he looks at John, and you know, that's it. And that's all he did. Now everyone, they showed that film. I think at the uh, the BFI, which was the National Film Theatre, a few years ago. I may be there. I may be mistaken. And he was the last last guy standing, basically. So they mm-hmm. invited him on. When he walked on that stage, people went mad. They went fucking crazy. Where? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Because it was a connection with. And that's what you've got to get. It's the connection with. It doesn't mean that you're the star or not the star. If you're connected with something like that, that's the most important thing. Now, people will say to me, oh, yeah, you did this, you didn't speak, then you did that. Oh, okay, I'm the modern-day modern Charlie Chapman. So what? The point yeah. is, the, the point is, yeah. I worked on those movies. You didn't. I Amen. Worked, I've worked. Yes. With, you know, I've been. I've sat next to Betty Davis. Uh, um, um, I spoke to um, uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, Kim Novak, Jack Nicholson, Robert Mitchum. You know, this goes on and on. And and uh, and you know, even uh, Annie Hopkins gave me a lift once from National Theatre after uh, uh, King Lear, and, and gave me a lift almost home. You know, and told me his life story. <laughs> you know, these things happen to me. I, I don't know how. Listen, I mean, I, I mean, preach because yeah. I mean, it, none of that is lost on us. None of our listeners, certainly not me or Stephen, anybody who can appreciate everything you just said. Uh, again, just amen to all of that because you are connected. And listen, I am not a particularly starstruck person. Stephen knows this. And at the same time, I just got to add that, like, if you told me when I was a little kid, let, let's say it's, it's by, by 1981, I had my life had already been changed by Star Wars, The yep. Shining, yep. and Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. If you told me that I was going to get a chance to chat with you someday down the line, like I wouldn't have believed it, you know. And it's just, I think it's, um, it's so cool of you to have the perspective that you do because you clearly have just a, a reverence and appreciation for the connection that you have to all of these and the connections that you've uh, brought about through all of these different, well, universes, you know, to, you know, your own life experience. How many people get to say that, Derek? I, I mean, that's awesome. I agree. But see, also other pe- people think that because you've worked in the film industry, now I did earn a lot of money during the times I worked in the film industry. I could most people bought three or four houses at the time. Now, but it's gone mad with the inflation and everything else. And the same yeah. when I worked in the bill. I was on 750 like, say, a $1,000 uh, plus dollars thousand half dollars a week uh, in in the 90s and mm-hmm. I don't know where the money went but you know since that time because of the connection with I've had uh, uh, you know uh, this film L Street 1976 directed by John Spurrier produced by Hank Stars uh, and very grateful for that uh, I've had this Life After Flash and in fact they filmed quite a lot of me uh, for this Life After Flash film and there's even a scene where I'm arm wrestling Sam Jones you can watch it on uh on uh, YouTube, which we did. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that down. Sam was really, he's such a nice guy. He used to play cards with everyone. Flash, such a nice person. And uh, then I also, so I've done three documentaries. That's the one, the Street one, which took about four years to film uh, here and there. And then we did. Uh, then I've done this life after Flash, and I've done another film called A Bomb for Life, uh, which is uh, like a fan-made film by a guy called Benjamin Lind, who's a big uh, James Bond. Um, um, Big James Bond uh, uh, fan, 
and I'm in that film as well, uh, which is yet to be on DVD. But so I'm, I've done all this, and also that book, uh, which is called uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining Studies in the Horror Film. Uh, I own it. I own it. I've read it cover to cover. <laughs> well, they, they kept something. In fact, they kept. They wanted me to do an essay as well, but I didn't want to do the essay because I want to save it for my book because I could have gone on like I did today with you. But um, I, they wrote that bit, but they took this bit where I told. I did tell them about the bit with me and Jack and about him like tear crying, but they took that out for some reason. But that's okay. But, I, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, this time a uh, year and a half ago, I was in fact reading. Uh, uh, your interview with uh, Justin Bozung, I believe That's it was. Yeah, he's the one who contacted me initially. I am so happy, and so I mean, my father got me in the business, absolutely. But I made it myself. What I mm-hmm. did, who knows? I maybe do something. I may end up like uh, that actor, the, the Silver Fox, was his name, that uh, stuntman who, be, who, who did uh, stuff later in his life. Who did that film, that David Lynch film, the um, on on the uh, oh, straight, Farnsworth, straight, Richard straight, Farnsworth. Yeah, that's it. This straight story. Remember that great film? No, and he made it later in his life. And so I don't mind waiting for that time. It's okay. I left my mark then. And the thing is that I, I, I love every time I went and worked in a movie, even though it was very early in the morning, I was always full of like, energy and life and a lot of people were half asleep still. But I was always on the ball, you know, and I made people laugh. I mean, even on Space Vampires and, uh, and uh, a few others. We'd be in the uh, in the uh, the coach, and I'll be impersonating, you know, Clint Eastwood, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, 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 <laughs> oh, Stephen! Stephen's the biggest Clinton Eastwood Junior fan on the yeah. planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another one, I, the other one I did, which is better, uh, was um, it was uh, yes, yes, my name was uh, LP uh, L, uh, LP Down. Yes, yes, James Stewart. You know, I was I do the. <laughs> I love it. This is, this is Harvey. Over here, Har- Harvey. Just sit there, Harvey. Ooh, you, who? <laughs> Merry like- Christmas, you old savings and loan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'll do that. I always entertain the rest of the, the, the crowd, the, uh, the actors and stuff. Great. Um, it's great. Or, um, Derek, D- Derek, could you tell us um, about uh, meeting Oliver Reed? Yeah. Yeah, Oliver Reed. Yeah, I, this is actually uh, uh, on a. Uh, I think, I think Nick Rowe directed the cast. Yeah, there. yeah, that's right. He did. Yeah, and so uh, in fact, Rick McCullum was the producer. He's, he's one who went to Star Wars and the, the, the newer films. Um, yeah, we were filming at the Lily Lantry Hotel uh, in um, um, in Bayswater. Was that the was that the pub scene then? No, it's, it's uh, basically it was in the hotel foyer scene. Oh, where is where they meet? Where he meets the girl, but he walks he walks through reception and he walks into the woman who's going to be uh, going you know going on, which was um, um, the, the English actress uh, Amanda uh, uh, Donahoe. Yeah, Amanda Donahoe. I, 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 we got on very well. She she's came to Planet Hollywood a few times. She was great fun. But anyway, um, I'm dressed. I got I actually wore my own clothes. I had to be an American tourist, so I'm wearing a a blue seersucker jacket, Ivy League jacket, you know, uh, and I was much slimmer then. And I'm actually got to, I had to walk to reception and book in, and I've got this camera on my shoulder and all this kind of stuff. And Oliver Reed walks in. Anyway, during the lunch break, at the back of the hotel is a bar. And so I, I went in the bar and uh, had a beer, and uh, there's Oliver Reed, you know, and a few of the crew members, you know, and everyone else had gone out 
to lunch and around to the uh, car- uh, the big um, where, the, where they set up the food uh, in, the, in the road and used to eat on a big kind of coach. And uh, so I, I, I'm there, and then Oliver just starts talking and you know doing stuff, and uh, and he says, um, uh, "Boys, um, I, I'm going to show you something now." Don't be surprised. And, and then he pulls his flies down, pulls his penis out. <laughs> it goes, look at my tattoo. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> penis. It was, I don't know, I don't know if it was a... <laughs> and I'm not sure. And, and, I, and I asked him, where do you get this done? He said, it was for... He says, I was very pissed, as you know. And I was, I was actually in... Um, I think it was Thailand. It was for a bet, and and he oh had to, my God. Thailand or Vietnam. He had it, a bet and had it done. He, he got it out with me and two of the other crew members, really, and we had a beer. And like, we just laughed, you know. What could you say? But Oliver was uh, he was great. Uh, sadly, missed great good friend of uh, Hurricane Higgins and uh, and Keith Moon. You know, they're yeah, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a good thing Oliver didn't show up at Jack's uh, dressing room that day. I'll just... <laughs> well, they did, they, they, did, they did work together on a movie, didn't they? In 1975, they were both in Tommy, the Who's Tommy. Both, That's right. Both yeah. uh, Nicholson and Reed. Yeah. I, I, something, when I first went to Shepperton on Shining, I walked back at the back of the studio. There's a, the offices, and that was the Who offices. Who I also later on became connected because I worked in Quadrophenia. I knew the Who management before they did Quadrophenia as what the music business. I had all these connections with the Who anyway. And the crazy thing is, I walk, I'm walking towards the offices, and on this over um, just uh, this area, I could see these giant uh, Marilyn Monroe figures, which were used mm. in, you know, the big Marilyn oh, Monroe. Yeah, yeah, of course, from yeah. Tommy, yeah, from the church scene. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, that, that film where. The blow, the like the woman in red, that blows up her skirt. Uh, famous thing. Anyway, uh, and you know, I, I have another connection with Ken Russell because I, 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 I um, uh, years later, I, I, I was in the police called Topol Gijo in Soho with my girlfriend Caroline at the time, about mid eighties. I was a massive fan of Ken Russell. Anyway, such a nice man, and everyone got him and Michael Winner confused because they were similar. Um, but Ken Russell. I remember he was with this bunch of women, and I thought, I've got my card, because I always had this card, you know, with me, you know, trying to get work. So I followed him, followed uh, uh, Ken Russell into the toilet. And, uh, they had, you know, I made, made sure he finished his wee, and I was doing my wee. And, and, I, and I washed my hands. I said, uh, Ken Russell? He goes, yes, darling, yes, darling. <laughs> I said, I'm a massive fan. He said, I'm an actor myself. I said, look, if I gave him my card, I'd love to work with you one of these days. Okay, darling, give me a card. Very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, God, that was fantastic. You know, if I had a camera then or one of these, like, you know, iPhones, right. I don't have them, then I would have taken a picture. But then years later, I mean, it's about 10 years later, I'm working at Planet Hollywood uh, for about three years. And he walked in with his son. I think his son's name's Hurricane or Ocean or something like that. Uh, and a little bit of a plump boy. And he walked in with him. I said, Ken, how are you? So I, every time he asked for me, and I gave him a table, and, met, and I said, Ken, one day, I said, look, I've got to be honest with you, years ago, I, I followed you into the toilet. At, <laughs> <laughs> he goes, darling, that's not, that, all actors tried that thing on. It's not a problem, my dear. Don't worry about it. And, and he said, <laughs> other things, you know, to get work. So that was it, really. But, you know, that's another connection with Ken Russell, because he, he was a wonderful person, too. 
but I mean, I, I have to, uh, uh, I, I have to ask you to bring it back to Kubrick if you attended the Shining premiere. And, well, and it, yeah, you know, what did you, what did you think of it? The Shining premiere. When it, well, actually, I never went to the premiere, obviously. But when I when the film came out, I saw it at the Warner West End, mm-hmm. and uh, I, because you know, of re- having read the book, when I saw the movie, I was mm-hmm. kind of disappointed. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, I only only because that was a very you know that's when I, I saw it a couple of times just to see what I felt. But I was because you know there's bits where it goes to black screen, it has it like title across mm-hmm. and. It, goes quiet and you know when you cut it um but i mean obviously i thought because i you know when i see a film i think well it reminds me of being on the movie with jack and all the good great times i had on, on being on that movie and also um scatman brothers and all, all the others and and also seeing myself you know oh there i am yeah <laughs> you know a second yeah and because uh, you forget because i because you're watching you're so into the film that you i kind of enjoyed the film i did think it was a great movie and uh, there's a, there's a, several friend, old friends I, I spotted with you. Uh, that scene in the you know the scene where the the person dresses the dog going down on someone. I knew those people. And the other guy with the is a, is a gay guy I used to know who had the cut across the head. Uh, I worked with him. He's in, also in Victoria. That's, that's, that's Norman Gay, is it? Norman Gay. Norman Gay, yeah, lovely guy, Norman. And uh, exactly. Uh, but no, I I. I uh, I was disappointed, really, uh, sadly, uh, being a, a you know a massive a, f- a fan of the book. Yeah, but did you ever uh, a- at least begin to view the two as separate pieces of yeah, works? Did you ever change your mind about the? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, because we all know. I mean, the thing is, in the book, as you know, the the the, the maze, all the all the car- all the animals become alive, don't they? And it's the topiaries, yeah, the topiary animals, right? Yeah, they all come alive and. Is that more thing? And obviously, imagination, you know, when you're reading something, it becomes more. Wow. So, I mean, Derek, that's just all so amazing. I, I can't thank you enough. I speak on behalf of Stephen and all of our listeners when I say it's just been a real treat to have you uh, as a guest and share all of these amazing stories and bring it all back to Kubrick, uh, like I was saying, the connections. So we've kept you so long and uh, you've been so gracious. I just want to say thank you from all of us and uh, definitely hope we get to chat again soon, my man. Yeah, uh, I'd like to actually, if I may, uh, dedicate to my two sons, uh, or they're still alive, by the way, <laughs> uh, 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 um, Christopher Lucas Lyons and Thomas Sean Zen Lyons, uh, who uh, uh, sadly living with my ex-wife. Uh, but I'd like to dedicate this interview to them and uh, hopefully they hear it in the future. Oh, they will. Hi, hi, Christopher. Hi, Thomas. From all of us at Kubrick's Universe. Yeah, thank you. Your dad is awesome. Thank, oh, thank you, Derek. You. Uh, it's re- I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for, for you know, for um, interviewing little me, you know. <laughs> Listen, if you'd like to uh, join us, the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society is not only like the world's largest social media group dedicated to his legacy. Yeah. Uh, Stephen founded it. I couldn't be more proud to be involved with it. It's the joy of my life. And you would be treated so well in the group. It's just such a wonderful group of really engaged people. And it it every post alternates between like insightful and fascinating to laugh out loud hilarious. Oh, yeah, great. We have what? such a great community. It'd be awesome if you wanted to join in. Yeah, yeah just send me, uh, uh, you know, send me a link. I'll, I'll do that. But listen, I have to go now because I need to go to the toilet now. <laughs> no worries. Appreciate your... You're interested in me. Thank you so much. 
we spoke to Derek on the 20th of February 2018. You will find Derek online at his website, DerekLionsSite.com. That's Lions spelled L-Y-O-N-S. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram. And why not take another look at The Shining to see if you can spot Derek in the Overlook Hotel. Thanks to Mark Lentz, who helped us with research for this episode. Mark runs the New York chapter of SCAS. Thanks to Chris Lentz for telling us who is Stanley Kubrick. And of course, thanks to our very own host, the marvellous Mr. Jason Furlong. Don't forget to check in to the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society on Facebook. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and let us know what you think about the show. I'm going to leave you with Midnight, The Stars and You, which was recorded in 1934 by Ray Noble and his orchestra, with vocals provided by Al Bowley. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kubrick's Universe and thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Rigg. Tatty bye. Midnight were the stars and you Midnight and a rendezvous Your eyes held a message tender Saying I surrender all my love to you Midnight brought us sweet romance I know all my whole life through I'll be remembering me Whatever else I do Midnight Where the stars and you It's Kubrick's universe We just live in it We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick Podcast.